amount of time and, and, and all of that. So here's the context of it, and then I will introduce my friends. Um, if you have been around, you know that we are in a series that we, in a kind of silly way, have called The Good, The Bad, and The Body. And we're talking all about the body and what it has to do with our faith. And for a lot of us, this is something we haven't thought about a lot. Uh, so the first week, we talked a lot about the word flesh and is the body just bad? And some of us grew up thinking that the body's horrible, the mind is good, uh, and then the fact that Jesus came in the flesh. So it can't really just be bad. And we kind of pursued some of those things. Last week, uh, we were, we were kind of all over the place, right? And we were talking about how we have not listened to our body, particularly some people's bodies, and how we have counted some people's bodies as much more worthy than others. Next week, we're going to talk about suffering on Nikki's birthday, which there's no better birthday gift I could give than talk suffering. We're going to talk about uh, aging and like be, having this eternal hope as we're in an aging body, and like how do we do that the week after? We're talking about a story that's mending. If you ever notice, usually testimonies at church are only like I used to, I used to struggle, but now I'm awesome. And like, okay, what about the rest of us like me who are just, I'm still in the, I'm mending, I'm healing, I'm becoming whole, I'm not whole yet. So how do we embrace that? And then finally, just how do we live with gratitude and vulnerability at the same time? But most of those are going to be from, from me. And I'm aware that I am one perspective. Uh, Kat is going to speak in this series as well, but most of them are me. I'm one perspective. I'm a northern white guy. Like, all of that is part of how I see everything. And so I want to introduce you guys to people you already know, but some of my dear friends who I, I love them both, and I love how they, they think and talk of God, and I love that they don't see the world as I do, because I don't want you to see the world as I do. I want you to experience God as you, and then I want to hear that and learn from it. So we're going to do a little bit of that today. Uh, first, I want to, you know her, but I want to call forward my friend Sarah Longest. And then someone who I kind of like a little bit. When he leaves, I cry. My friend, his first name is William, but we call him Mac. Thank you both. Uh, you have your, your microphones and even your communion. And apparently I leaned on something that's rusty, so be aware of rust <laughs> in this building too. So we have a few questions um, that I sent you all. And if there's a question you don't want to answer, it is safe to say pass. And um, <laughs> Okay, I just want to note that Mac walked away from a microphone. That's what that was. <laughs> So if, if there, you don't want to talk on it, that's okay, but uh, we're going to just go with these. The first one I, I asked you is, as you come into this panel, um, this one I need you to do. Take a minute and introduce yourself, but in light of this conversation about faith in the body, particularly talking about that, who are you then? So I said your name, but go ahead and uh, whoever wants to go first. Well, um, 
I'm Sarah, and in regards to faith and the body, um, I live in a body that deals with chronic health issues. Um, I live in a body that failed me in a lot of ways, so this is a, a tough topic to think about, and like Matt was saying earlier, I don't have the, oh, I prayed and God healed me and now I'm all better. Like, I prayed and I'm, I still deal with chronic health issues. Um, but when, when uh, Matt asked me about this topic, I said, I don't feel like I experience God in my body, but I feel like I experience God despite the failing of my body. Uh, yes, yeah, so my name is William Mack. Um, I currently serve um, as the director of pastoral care for a ministry called Rooted, and um, I live in Chicago, Illinois, um, but Louisville is my home. And um, when we talk about, well, and I'm, I'm also a spiritual director as of yesterday. Hey, yo! They just give those certifications to anybody. Anyway, um, <laughs> but um, when you, I love y'all, and I love Matt. And one of the things that I have been really working through recently um, is processing the duality and the tension of being a black male Christian. Um, um, I am all those things. Um, I am black, I am male, I am Christian, and um, when you are a leader in a denomination, um, there are often questions that are asked of you because you're the black guy in the room and we want to know how does that feel or what do you think or what are your thoughts? And um, to be completely transparent, I, um, about two cohorts ago, we were meeting here in Louisville and we were just, just taking some time reflecting with the Lord um, and I had to admit I'm exhausted from answering questions. And um, I told the Lord, I was like, you know, honestly, I don't want to engage in any more conversations around ethnicity, race, social justice, and Christianity, because it is tiring. The last two years have wore me out. Um, and specifically, Lord, having debates. So if it's somebody that wants to have a conversation, and they have an ear to hear and a heart that is open, I'm willing to do that. But I'm not debating anybody about my experience anymore. I'm not fighting with anybody to understand. Either you want to listen and receive, or you don't. Um, and so when Matt asked me this, this was literally after me and the Lord had this dialogue, and I was like, oh, you good. You real good. Um, so, um, so know that this is a labor of love and because I love Matt, but also because I believe that this body has an ear to hear and a heart to receive. And so, yes, um, in relation to this conversation, I am black, I am male, I am Christian, I am a product of the black church. Grew up, um, black church experience my entire life. I tell people I'm Baptocostal. Um, Baptist on my mama's side, Pentecostal on my daddy's. Um, and um, I bring all of that um, into this conversation, as well as I've been living with sickle cell um, my entire life. So I definitely resonate with living with bouts of chronic pain. Well, I, in no way do I want you all to speak as like a caricature. Right or as a representative for a whole anything, right? Um, I don't want you speaking as a representative of chronic pain. I don't want you speaking as a representative of blackness or maleness or any of this. But I do appreciate the work that you each have done in just 
mining who God is and being aware of your body, right? And that's part of why you're here. It's not just, not just well, frankly, it's so I can hang out with you more. <laughs> um, but I appreciate it. We, we need to hear that. Um, so as you think of who you are, and, and hopefully you had some time to think about this, how has who you are and how you have walked through the world shaped your reading of the Bible? I think that's a, t- it's a tough question for me to answer because it's like, this is my experience, this is what I know. So it's hard to say how that's different from other people's experiences. But, you know, I think for me, I grew up in uh, the church. My dad was a pastor till I was about 13 and then he went into counseling. So I'm a PK and um, uh, so that just early childhood knowing Jesus my whole life kind of situation has definitely um, impacted how I know the Bible, how I read the Bible. Um, having that experience, um, I had the privilege of going to a Christian school, so um, I've, I had exposure to Jesus early on. I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, in regard to my physical body, you know, there are things in the Bible that are encouraging and hopeful, and there's things in the Bible that I read, and I'm like, but I haven't had that experience yet, or I haven't had that you know, that healing or, or whatever part of, of that um, passage that I'm reading. So I think, I think there's both sides of that for me. There's, there's hopefulness, and then there's also just kind of that sadness and grief for what I do experience. Now, as a woman, <laughs> that brings a whole other side of things when we read the Bible. And, you know, I think we've all seen scriptures in regard to women and, and our, our roles. And so those are tough things to, to think through and process. And how do I interpret that? Um, and how do I look at that? And how do the people around me and leadership around me interpret that as well? So that's something I'm still working through and learning and trying to work out with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Um, So I tell people that I am a practical theologian. I remember um, um, when I started sensing the call to ministry, me and the Lord had to have some, again, I have, now that I'm saying this out loud, we have a lot of like back and forth, right? Um, But I remember telling the Lord, like, if I'm going to preach, it's got to make sense. And it, uh, sometimes scriptures don't make sense to us. So I, I want to be able to be able to read and share the practical theology that people can live everyday life through. Um, so that's that first. Um, but I also grew up in the, at the peak of liberation theology, where from black pulpits, um, the hope of victory over oppression and prejudice and all of that stuff. And so I've, I've heard that all of my life. Um, and so for me, whether we want to admit it or not, our lived experiences does shape the lenses of how we read and interpret scripture. It really does. Um, I listened to a podcast. The New York Times has a podcast I'll share with you later, um, share with y'all later, um, where there was this pastor who was 
um, being interviewed about his life post-pandemic and how he was recovering as a pastor and how his church was doing. And uh, by the end of the interview, we learned that he has left his church. And that was largely because during the pandemic, he had time to sit with the scriptures um, and view the scriptures through the lenses of what he was seeing on TV. Um, through the lenses of the protesters of George Floyd, through the lenses of those who were protesting the murder of Breonna Taylor. Um, and he said, honestly, he had never done that before. That when he read the stories of Moses and the children of Israel, you know, he was Moses and the children of Israel were the other people, right? Um, that he never saw himself the other way around as the one that needed to be saved because as a white male, like he doesn't need much saving. Um, and it was it's just a really honest, really um, insightful conversation because by the end of the pandemic, like he recognized that he had probably been preaching some sermons that were probably a little slighted towards his lenses and his experience. Um, and I recognize that a lot of my um, preaching and teaching and how I read and interpret the scriptures really is based off where's the hope? Where's the hope of the future? Like. Where's the healing? Where's the redemption? Where's the resurrection? Where is the hope? Um, and so I struggle with the scriptures where it seems like it's hopeless. I struggle with the scriptures where there's not a way out, right? And I have to trust that God is sovereign. He is holy. He is true. He is just. And his ways are higher than my ways. And his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. But I struggle with those scriptures that I can't find um, like a, oh, if we can do this, then we can do that. Because I'm a practical theologian, um, and I want to be able to share that hope of Jesus and say, look, if we can just hold on and believe this thing will happen. But sometimes that doesn't happen that way. Um, so, yeah, long answer to a short question, but that's, yeah. 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 So I know as I, uh, as I became aware that this sounds silly, but as I became aware that I am white and I am a male and I think everything has to end in hope, so then what that did to me is then I would just, any pain that I felt or any grief that I felt, I would just, if I couldn't resolve it like a Full House episode in 22 minutes, I would just skip it and just pretend it wasn't there and like have another cup of coffee. And... Uh, but then you're like, oh, some of this doesn't resolve. And I remember, I, I know I talked to you about this once. This is embarrassing, but I, I'd been pastoring this church when I realized that Moses wasn't a white guy. And like, oh, huh, if I'm in this story, I'm probably the Egyptian. I'm probably the one in power. I'm not, I'm not the hero. And, and some of, sometimes our, it, it just matters. Our experience matters. So as, as you think of how you have, and you kind of alluded to this, but as you are reading scripture or as you are hearing people talk uh, at church or wherever you are about uh, the stories of the Bible, the characters of the Bible, are there particular stories and characters that in this place you really relate to or that you really can't stand the way that it's recorded? Are, are there some that you just have a reaction to? Um. Job is just too cliche for me. <laughs> I told Matt, I don't want to be the poster child for suffering. Um, <laughs> maybe I can be the poster child for, for um, now the word just left me. 
um, perseverance. Uh, but there's a story in the New Testament about a man who was, they said he was lame. Um, he'd been in that condition for, I think, 38 years. And the first time I had reread that from this lens, I was 38 years old, so it d that just stuck out to me. Um, but he stayed by this pool, and w at the time they said that they believed an angel would come and stir the pool, and the first person into the pool would then be healed. Well, this man was there, and Jesus came, and Jesus said to him, um, do you want to be healed? And the man's answer, which we would expect to be, yes, I want to be healed, wasn't that. His answer was, I don't have anybody to get me into the pool. And the reason why that stood out to me is because after many years of dealing with chronic health, um, I'm not going to cry. <laughs> um, in many ways, I've, I've stopped asking God for healing. Um, and even the idea of being healed is in some ways more scary than the norm that I have now, that I've found contentment, that God's given me joy through um, reentering the workforce or having expectations or trying again to do something that so many times has flared up my health issues or whatever seems scary so I related to that man and not saying yes I want to be healed um, but saying this is my current circumstance but then like Jesus wasn't like oh okay well I won't heal you or anything like that Jesus healed him anyway and it wasn't because of the man's answer. It wasn't because of, of any of that. But Jesus still healed him. And so it was like, even though, God, I'm not asking you for healing anymore, if it's your will, you'll still heal me. And so I, I just really love that story. For me, it's been the father in Mark 9. Um, the story is so that... Um, a man brings his son to Jesus. Um, he stops at the disciples first. They're not able to get the demon out. And so um, after he raises some ruckus, he finally gets the attention of Jesus. And he brings his son. He's like, look, I tried to. I asked your disciples. They weren't able to do it. And I'm bringing them to you. And if you can do something about it, I'd appreciate it, right? And, um, and Jesus responds, if I can do anything. And the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Um, and I connect with him, right? Um, I feel like he is a snapshot of Mac, but I believe like he really is a glimpse of most believers, right? Like you really do believe, you want to believe the best, right? But there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations where it goes, Lord, how long and how much more? Um, and so I live in that tension of like faith and believing, but like if I watch the news one more time, unbelief gets a lot bigger than my faith sometimes. And I'm called to preach, and I'm called a pastor, and I'm called to be a spiritual director. So I have to give you this hope that I legitimately do believe, but like unbelief is like dancing in the background, like tap dancing. And um, 
you know, I, I remember I'm a PK. Um, my grandmother raised me. My grandmother was a pastor. Um, and just watching her um, live for the Lord and serve the church um, and then still go through all the things that a woman uh, goes through in order just to walk in her call in ministry um, was hard watching that. And I remember her praying, you know, crying at night because of some of the rejection and, and disrespect that she had to endure. But then she would get up in the morning and be like, today's a new day and God is good and he's greatly to be praised. And she would go on and I'm like, who does that? <laughs> and why do you keep doing that, right? But that was just one experience of the experiences that I think all believers go through, right? And then when you add in, you know, being a person of color, when you add in um, uh, physical um, 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 uh, disabilities, when you add in just all the things that we deal with as individuals, um, that man, um, you know, I, I like to champion those, that guy and Dalton Thomas, right? Um, I think they get a bad rap um, because I think the reality of the matter is they're more like us than some of the people who are like, Jesus, I'm going to follow you until the day you die. Well, that's good for you. But as for me, I'm going to be honest, I've got some unbelief, Jesus, because this has been going on for quite some time. Um, so for me, the brother in Mark 9 is who I've definitely been resonating with very recently. So there's a verse I don't know what to do with. And we've all heard it. David says, and David is not a cheesy guy, I don't think. But man, he says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm. And that's been said over me my whole life. And that's been believed by me for maybe seven seconds total. And in, as we are in this conversation of faith in the body in this seven weeks, what, just, what is your experience with, with that phrase? That I, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm saying I haven't done my homework, right? I theoretically believe that. I don't know that I embody that yet. Where, where are you guys at with that, that phrase? That scripture um, talks about how the, the days ordained for us were written in his book before one of them came to be. And I, I, that I've hold, held on to that piece of that scripture um, for so many things in my life. Um, when I was in my early 20s, I uh, dealt with infertility and had a miscarriage, and there was a sweet lady that wrote me this beautiful letter, and she quoted that scripture, and there was something in that, that, that child that was growing inside of me, that God knew how many days that that, that child had with me in my body. Um, and then in my mid-20s, when I was diagnosed with this rare cancer, and I was going through chemo, and I was wrestling with whether or not this cancer that could have been terminal was going to take my life or not, or whether the treatment was going to take my life, um, knowing that God knew how many days I had gave me a lot of peace because I didn't have to worry. Um, as I wrestled with all of that. Um, and now, um, 
I have two grandmothers. One is 90 and one's 94. And thinking about their lives and cherishing every moment that I have with them and that God's ordained the number of their days and dealing with the chronic health issues that I have now as a result of the chemo that I had, even though I'm cancer free now, um, how many days I have, it's in God's hands and he knows and it gives me so much peace. And the fact that I'm here before you today, uh, yeah, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, it, feels like, it feels like a miracle that I'm even here. Um, and so even though it's not perfect and it doesn't function, I have limitations that I don't want, I'm still here. Like, I'm still here. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. We're all fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, and I believe that, and it's encouraging to me. That's it's my experience. That's beautiful. So that scripture reminds me that, that I am, we are built for this life. Right, that like everything we have in us has prepared us for the life that God has ordained for us to live. And that is encouraging, that there are moments when you don't feel like you're built for it, right? That you're not enough, that you're not tall enough, that you're not smart enough, um, all the things. But to know that God was intentional and strategic when he formed you in your mother's womb. That not only did he number the days, but he gave you exactly what he wanted you to have, what he trusts you with in order to live this. Like that, to know that our father thinks of us in that way is beautiful, right? And it encourages you in those dark moments where you just feel like you're not enough. But if God did not trust you with whatever it is that you're facing in that moment, he would not have you in it. Like he, you're built for this, right? Like I am built for this. I come from um, a family um, that was very dysfunctional. And um, just even how I was raised by my grandmother, that's a story within itself. And I recognized that all of that stuff when I was younger was necessary for me to be the person that I am today. So I'm literally, I'm built for this. Like God knew in my mother's womb that this was going to be the path and along that path there would be some suffering and there would be some heartache and there would be some doubt and there would be some disappointment, but also he knew that along that path that he would be there with me. Um, and as long as he's with me in the midst of the doubt and the fear and the disappointments and the questions, um, I can face whatever's being thrown at me because I'm literally built for whatever this is that I'm about to walk into next. So, that scripture gives me hope that when God sees me, he doesn't see me as this little runt that's about to run out to the field and possibly get crushed by a giant. But he's like, oh, no, that's, that's my boy David. And he may look shorter than the giant, but I've given him strategies and abilities that'll be able to knock a giant down. And I think for every believer, that's what we need to know is that wherever giant we've been called to slay, that God has sent you into the arena and he has prepared you with everything that you need and he's with you for you to knock down those giants. And so that's, when I hear that, I have to remind myself that whatever it is that I'm facing, God has built me and he is with me um, to handle this situation. This is why I didn't preach today. We just, we just wanted to hear this, right? Yeah, yeah. We could do this every week. Well, no, no, I would feel very insecure if it was every week. Okay. Uh, okay. So Jesus asked this great question of his disciples. He's, he says, who do you say I am? Mm. 
And hopefully, as we are walking in our faith, we're feeling that question being asked of us. And so just in this season, I'm not saying for all time, but really in this season, who, who do you say that Jesus is? I think the beauty of who Jesus is is that no matter what my circumstance is, he's still Jesus. Um, he doesn't change because my health takes a dip and I have a flare-up or whatever it is. Like, he doesn't change because I got a cancer diagnosis. He doesn't change because, you know, we can list all of the circumstances that we deal with. Um, and he's still healer. He hasn't healed me physically, but it's like this. Um, my training and most of my experience is in education. Um, I was a teacher and a tutor. Um, and just because I'm not your teacher, if you hang around with me long enough, I'm probably still going to teach you something. You might learn something from me. And I think Jesus is like that. Um, he's a healer. And if I hang around long, with, long enough with him, he's probably going to heal something in me. It may not be my physical body or what I'm asking for, but I can guarantee you he's healed parts of me. Maybe that I didn't even know needed to be healed. Um, and so the fact that he, he is who he says he is, he doesn't change. Gosh, you know, like how many times in our lives do we need something that is trustworthy, that is always the same, that we can always lean on, we can always believe in, um, because he's there. Uh, I, I can't imagine going through any of this without him, without that foundation of knowing he is always who he says he is. He is always there. He's always the same. Um, even though everything changes for me constantly. Um, I, I just draw so much, so much strength and hope through who Jesus is. So I grew up as a preacher's kid. I told you that. Um, and I tell people that um, when I got to college, um, I entered into this journey of like, I call it my journey to personal Jesus. Because when you grow up, when you grow up in the church, you know all the churchy things, right? Like I know how to do church. I know when to stand up, sit down, clap, sing, all those things. And I know all the things that the pastors and preachers would tell us about Jesus. But when I was um, 18 at the University of Kentucky, living life on my own, um, I didn't have anybody to make me go to church. I didn't have anybody to make me take communion. And so I had to do life on my own. And that started a trajectory for me um, on this pathway to personal Jesus. Like, who is Jesus to you? And for me, the idea that Jesus was for me and not just this divine supervisor that just sits up in the sky waiting to punish me when I don't do the things that are not on the top 10 list, like, um, but then he's actually my personal Lord and Savior that he walks and he talks with me, that he loves and he holds me. Um, Jesus becomes more than just this distant figure that one day I'll see in heaven, but he is here with me, right? And that informs how I read scriptures about Jesus because he is still a healer, he is still my friend, and he's here with me. 
So when he says that I'm near the brokenhearted in those moments where I'm dealing with depression or I'm dealing with doubt or dealing with shame, um, the scripture that reminds us that he's near the brokenhearted means that he's right here. He is my Lord and Savior. He is my friend. He is my elder brother and my advocate. And he's he's not some far off person. I got to send him, but he's right here. Um, and for me, when people ask me that, I just like look. He's like my best friend. Like I, I don't catch me driving in the car by myself because I talk to. I talk to me a lot, but I'm talking to Jesus too, right? I'm like, Jesus, I'm gonna need you to give me the words to say, or Jesus, I'm feeling really uncomfortable right now because I just believe in my heart of hearts that he's right here. Thank you both so much. Uh, the last question here, um, you guys know I love this, this church. I know you both do too. What is it that you would say to this particular church on this particular day as just kind of like a closing thought on the idea of faith in the body. Um, I know that I'm not the only one here that deals with health issues. Um, I know that our bodies are broken, um, but it's not just our physical body, it's like our church body. A lot of us have dealt with church hurt. I've dealt with that too. And there's a lot of brokenness from that. Um, but I have seen over and over how God can heal and how God can um, walk, how God is with us and how he walks with us through all of the stuff that we deal with. Um, and he is trustworthy and he is faithful and he is for us. And um, I love in the scripture where it says he's the God who sees, he's the God who hears. Um, I think it's hard for us to talk about suffering and, and the hard parts, that, but if we read the scripture very much, you're going to run into a story about suffering. And, you know, I, we don't have a lot of choice about the suffering that we deal with, um, when I think about Jesus, he chose to suffer, like um, the cost for him to love us was great. Um, and I just would never give that up. And I just, I hope that um, if there's anything in my story that is encouraging or helpful, um, I'm more than happy to share more with that of that with you. If I can listen or pray for you, I would love to do that. Um, it's just been an honor to be part of this church and to be able to speak this morning. And um, yeah, it's tough to talk about our physical bodies, but um, I think it's important. And um, I just, I'm amazed at, at how we see God um, at work in terms of not just all the spiritual stuff that we talk about, but our physical bodies as well. Um, I think this is a scripture that tells us the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? And I guess what I just really feel like the Holy Spirit is, is, is stirring right now is that it does not matter what your body is or isn't allowing you to do, 
if you wake up, you've got something that you can do with that body that God has given you. That the same God who trusts you with treasure is also the same God who trusts you with trials. And he can be glorified in and through all of it. Um, Stephanie and Kat and I and a couple others were at a retreat um, in Colorado earlier this week. And um, I had to make this proclamation that I hate that Romans 8.28 has become cliche, right? That we know all things are working together for the good of those who love the Lord, called to their purpose. And it's become so like a bumper sticker type thing. Um, But the reality is, is that God trusts and has equipped and has built us for all things and that all things, good, bad, ugly, indifferent, uncomfortable, all of that um, is part of the greater story that brings our Father glory Um, and that the Father trusts you with that. And if he can trust me with it, then I know I can make myself, make, make it through it. The last thing is that when we see Jesus Um, coming out of the waters of baptism. His father makes this proclamation that this is my son of whom I'm well pleased. In that moment, Jesus hadn't really done anything but be baptized, right? But when the father sees him, he doesn't make this announcement that he is his son and that he's pleased with him based off of anything that he had done. He just simply makes it because he is a beloved son. And for me, I've been sitting with that a lot lately because it does not matter what we do. When God sees us, he sees us through the lenses of son and daughter. There will be times where we will concede to the flesh. There will be times where we don't feel like we're more than enough to handle whatever it is that we're going through. But when the father sees us, he doesn't see us through the eyes of failure or defeat or depression. He sees us as that's Wendy. That's my daughter, and I love her. Hey y'all, hey y'all. Check 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 out check out Nat. That's that's my daughter, and I love her. This is this is Mac, and this is my son, and I love him. And if I can encourage anybody today, just know that you are built for whatever it is that you're facing in life, good, bad, or ugly, and that you are not alone while you're facing it, because your father is with you because he simply loves you. Like. I don't have to do anything more for him to love me. He just loves me just as I am. Um, And I think that's something that we've got to start doing with ourselves, loving ourselves just as we are, because the Father loves us just as we are. Let's thank our friends, huh? Thank you, guys.